just going to get a disclaimer. Let's accept this quote. May contain conspiracy theories about disease. So, spoiler alert. Could be mature. Please, do not listen if you do not want to have any spoiler alerts. I am reviewing different shows, movies, TV shows. So, if you do not want to hear any spoiler alerts, please exit now. And I hope you all enjoy this podcast. I'm ready. I'm excited to get going. Okay, today, the content could be a little more chore for audiences. So please, as someone before listening to this video, it's mature and may be uncomfortable for some viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. Be cautious. This is more for adults. Or for those who get permission. So, I watched a movie last week for Valentine's Day. I, I, I don't know why. This just has to happen. I mean, I did it for a Valentine's Day movie. And it is breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay, the costumes, amazing. The party, a little much. A little interesting, but a little much. Um, the love story, eh, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just I don't understand it for its time period. And the way she treated Cat, her cat, I literally, ooh, that made me so mad. But anyway, Breakfast at Tiffany's is a 1961 American romantic comedy film directed by Blake Edwards. Plot, early one morning, a taxi pulls up in front of the Tiffany and Co. Collat flag ship store and from it emerges elegant dressed Holly Golightly carrying a paper bag containing her breakfast. After looking into the store's window display, she strolls to her apartment and has to fend off her date from the night before. Once inside, Holly cannot find her keys so she buzzes her landlord, Mr. Yonshi. That is a whole nother conversation. Oh my freaking goodness. I know it was like the 1960s, so I guess they didn't realize that this would be considered very inappropriate behavior. I mean, really. Just really. Are we going to go there? I don't like that character very much at all. But that's, you know, beside the point, I guess. My personal feelings, I don't like the character. I find it inappropriate to let her in. Later, she is awoken by her neighbor, Paul Farjark, who rings her doorbell to get into the building. The pair chat as she dresses to leave for her weekly visit to Mopser Sally Tomato. Okay, see, listen, y'all had me up until Sally freaking tomato. 
What kind of person's last name is Sally Tomato? Is this like a code name or something? I don't like Sally Tomato. Heck, it wouldn't. It. Sally Tomato. Ugh, okay. Sure. Like, that doesn't sound like a fifth grader wrote it. Who is currently incarcerated at Sing Sing. Tomato's lawyer. Okay. Take a deep breath. I can't have a straight face with Sally Tomato. Tomato's lawyer pays her $100 a week to deliver the weather report. As she is leaving, Holly is introduced to Paul. Decorator, wealthy, older woman Emily Escantes Fallacy, who Paul nicknames E2. That night, when Holly goes out onto the fire escape to allure an over-eager date, she peeks into Paul's apartment, sees E2 leaving money and kissing him goodbye. Visiting Paul afterwards, she learns he is a writer who has not had anything published. <gasps> oh, excuse me. Since a book of Vianties five years before, Holly in turn explains she is trying to save money to subvert her brother Fred after he completes his army service. The pair fall asleep but are awoken by Holly has a nightmare about her brother. And call, Paul questions her about his this. Holly chides him for praying, prying. She later buys Paul a typewriter ribbon to apologize and invest, invites him to a wild party at her apartment. There, Paul meets Hollywood Ancient, who describes Holly's transformation from a cowgirl into a Manhattan socialite, along with wealthy Brazilian politician Joseph D. Silva Prade and Rusty. Rusty, the ninth richest man in America under 50. Sometime later, E2 enters Paul's apartment, worried she is being followed. Paul tells her he will investigate and eventually confronts Holly's husband, Doc Goodlight, who explains that Holly's real name is Laura May Barnes and that they were married when she was approaching 14. Now he wants to take her back to Royal Texas. After Paul reunites Holly and Doc, she informs Paul that the marriage was annulled. At the Greyhound bus station, she tells Doc she will not return with him, and he leaves brokenhearted. After drinking at a club, Paul and Holly return to her apartment, where she drunkenly tells him that she plans to marry Howler for his money. A few days later, Paul learns that one of his short stories will be published. On the way to tell Holly, he sees a newspaper headlining saying that Charla has married someone else. Paul and Holly agree to spend the day together, taking turns doing things each 
has never done before. At Tiffany's, Paul has the ring from Doc Goodlightly box of Cracker Jacks engraved. Okay, at Tiffany's, Paul has the ring from Doc Doc's Goodlightly box of Cracker Jacks engraved as a present for Holly. After spending the night together, he awakens to find her gone. When E2 arrives, Paul ends the relationship. She calmly accepts, having earlier concluded that he was in love with someone else. Holly now schemes to marry Joseph for his money, but after receiving a telegram notifying her of her brother's death in a jeep accident, she transfers her apartment months later. She invites Paul to dinner as she is leaving the next morning for Brazil to continue her relationship with Joseph. However, the pair are arrested in with Sally Tomato drug ring, and Holly spends the night in jail. The next morning, Hollywood friend O.J. Burnham Man pays Holly's bail. Paul is waiting for her in a cab, bringing her pet cat and a letter from Joseph explaining that he must end the relationship due to her arrest. Holly insists that she will go to Brazil anyway. She asks the cab to pull over and push his cat out into the pouring rain. Just after they get under way again, Paul storms out the cab, tossing the engraved ring into her lap and telling her to examine her life. She goes through a decision-making moment, puts the ring on, and runs after Paul, who is gone looking for Cat. Finally, Holly finds Cat, sheltering in an alleyway. With it tucked into her coat, she and Paul embrace. Yeah, okay. There is so much wrong with this story that I'm not even sure how to put this. Jeez. That's a lot in one sentence. Okay. Truman Capote wanted Marilyn Monroe to play Holly. Monroe's advisor and acting coach, Paula, said she shouldn't play a lady of the evening, and Monroe took her advice. Uh, Truman cast Audrey Hepburn instead. That spoken author also proclaimed it to be the most miscast film I've ever seen over time. Uh, Truman would go on to say that Tuesday Well or Judy Foster would have been a good choice to play Holly in a remake. Shirley McCannon turned down the lead. Shirley said it was one of the of her biggest regrets. Kim also Kim Noviak also said no. Audrey Hepburn hesitated before accepting the part. It's very difficult. I didn't think I was right for it. Hepburn told the New York Times, I've had very little experience, really, and I have no technique for doing things I'm unsuited to. I have to operate entirely on instinct. It was Black Edward who finally pushed me. He, at least, is perfectly cast as a director, and I discover his approach emphasized the same sort of sympathy as my own. John Frankenheimer was originally supposed to be the director. John had been on board to direct the film, but
but Hepburn wanted a bigger name. It was only after Black Edward was attached that Hepburn accepted the role. Steve McQueen could have been Paul. Edward wanted Steve McQueen, but he was still under contract and under the control of television, CBS, and the producers of Warner, Dead or Alive, wouldn't allow the up-and-comer into offer time off for the show. Edwards also suggested Tony Curtis to the producers. While Curtis was interested, the producers were not. George Pepper... Pep... Pep... I have no idea how to say his name. Peppered? Annoyed everybody. Edward did not want George for the role of Paul. He went so far as to drop to his knees on the sidewalk and beg producer Martin and Richard not to bring him in. Peppered ended up not listening to Edward. Distraction if he didn't agree with it. Hepburn was annoyed that Pepper overanalyzed everything, finding him pompous. Mrs. E. to herself, Patrika Neal, a former friend of Pepper's, thought he was—he wanted to be an old movie time honk and didn't think her character should be so domineering of him. The script had to trick the censors. The screenwriter, Summer Locked Elliot, first attempted to write the adaptation. George took over and lost the the unhappy unsolved ending and put in more Paul sex scenes which he had no interest on keeping. He figured currently that the censors would focus more on fighting issue with the now more pompous Paul and not pay attention to Holly. Holly's dress was custom made. Hepburn D. Givens designed it. Holly's famous little black dress was auctioned off in 2006 at Char Stores for over $90,000. Hepburn and G.I.V.E.N.C.H.Y. had worked together in the past on Sabrina. Fan funny fans funny face, and live in the afternoon. Black Edward went all out for the party scene. The party scene took six days to film on a Paramount studio. The extras who played the guests were all friends of Edward. Real champagne, 120 glasses of soft drinks, 60 currents of cigarettes, hot dogs, cold cuts, Chips, dips, and sandwiches were involved. A smoker used by a bookkeeper was brought in to create action, create enough smoke. Yeah, I don't get that at all. Why they did that back then, but that's a thing. Lots of smoking, I guess, was okay. I don't know. Fred Flintstone and possibly Bernie Rebel were in it. Alan Reed who was the original voice of Fred Flintstone played mobster Sally Tomato in the movie. The voice of Holly's over-eager date rem reminded officially uncredited, but some believe it sounds a lot like legendary voice actor Mel Blatch, who was voice Barney Rebel. 
not to mention Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and other classics, Warner Bros, cartoons, characters in the Looney Tunes, and a whole lot more. The Tiffany's opened on a Sunday for the first time since the 19th century to allow filming. Forty armed guards had to work on the floor to prevent thievery. Mickey Rooney defends, defended himself, then didn't. Both Edward and Rooney expressed regret at Rooney's over-the-top portrayal of the Japanese character, Mr. Yanoshi. According to Turner Classic Movie, Rooney wrote in his 1991 memoir, Life is Too Short. I was downright ashamed of my role in Breakfast at Tiffany's and I don't think the director Black Edward was very proud of it either. He was more defensive in 2008 after a screening of the film was cancelled after there were protests over Rooney's portrayal. They hired me to do this overboard and we had fun doing it. Never, never in all the more than 40 years after we made it. Not one complaint. Every place I've gone in the world, people say, God, you were funny. His quotes. Moon River was almost cut from the film. Uh, lyrics, Johnny Morrissey initial title and Blue River before realizing... <coughs> Sorry. There were already other songs with that title. Henry spent a month to come up with the right melody. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to write because I couldn't figure out what this lady would be singing up there on the fireplace. In one version of the story, the president of Paramount Pictures, Marty, after the first preview screening of the movie, said the song had to be taken out. Heartburn told the man they would cut it out of the movie over her dead body. In another version of the story, one of the producers said after the screening that the song had to go. Followed by Hartburn's uncharacteristic response in a different retelling of the legend, Ricky said it had to go. So there's a lot of. Hartburn wrote a note to M-A-N-C-I-N-I. -I. It read, I have just seen our picture Breakfast at Tiffany's, this time with your score. A movie without music is a little bit like an airplane without fuel. However beautifully the job is done, we are still on the ground and in a world of reality. Your music has lifted us all up instead of soaring. Everything we cannot say with the words or show the actions you have expressed for us. You have done this with so much imagination, fun and beauty. You are the happiest of cast and most sensitive of composers. Thank you, dear Hank. Side, it's lots of love, Audrey. Copy, uh, Caspo... Uh, whatever. C-A-P-O-T-E said Holly wasn't a call girl. The studio made sure she wasn't seen as a call girl. Gloria Vanderbilt might have been the inspiration for Holly. 
Holly's department sold for $7.4 million. Well, that's a lot of facts. I hope y'all enjoy and have a great week. I hope y'all like. You can check me out on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I also have another podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. Bye for now. Over and out.